Non-binary listeners, ladies and gentlemen, heroes and heroines, crooks and crookians, Edie Brukel and the new bohemians. The audio performance you are about to enjoy discusses casinos and gambling. We do not recommend gambling with money you cannot afford to lose or that is needed to pay bills. If you have a gambling problem, contact your problem gambling hotline. If you do not know how to contact your problem gambling hotline, send an email to help at casinocombat.com. We will find that number for you and provide it to you. Our hosts' past performances are not indicative of anyone's future results, including his own. All materials presented here are based on actual facts. Names and dates are changed to protect the innocent and the guilty. Some events, unrelated outcomes, may be omitted in the interest of brevity and clarity. It is, it's me, it's TRG, the... Rambling Gamer, welcome to episode 123 of our Casino Combat Podcast. I'm not aware of too many things. I know what I know if you know what I mean. Philosophy is a walk on the slippery rocks. Religion is a light in the fog. What I am is what I am. Are you what you are or what? Enough, enough. Shove me in the shallow water before I get too deep, that's for sure. What I am is an IT consultant, a grandfather, and a professional gambler who regularly earns cash and travel comps beating the game of casino gambling. What makes me unique? What makes me different? What sets me apart from other professional gamblers? is my philosophy, which is a walk on the slippery rocks, to be sure. I don't need to have you pay me for what I know. I don't need to do a master class. I don't need to rent a ballroom and charge you hundreds or thousands of dollars to know what I know. I am happy to share and teach and use our Casino Combat podcast to do just that. I am happy to teach you how to be or attempt to be a professional gambler. And most professional gamblers are not willing to do that. Or they do it in the form of a book or a product that you have to buy and pay for. Now, the great thing about that philosophy is that others have been willing to adopt it and donate their time and their ideas to help me improve what I do and to help all of you improve what you do. And I get to share all of that with all of you. So if this is your first time, you are welcome, 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 and we appreciate you giving this a listen, you giving us a try. If this is your next time joining me, thank you so very much for being part of our squad. Mrs. TRG and I are just back from a trip to Las Vegas. If you're keeping track, this is our third trip in approximately six weeks. We did two comped charter trips to Atlantic City before heading to Las Vegas with some friends. We're going to settle na- down now just a little bit, just a little bit of slowing things down before we head out on a craps-focused cruise early next month. So, squad, what do you want to talk about? What should we talk about today? What is the battle plan? Honestly, I've got so many notes that I had to move a couple of segments that I had planned for this episode into episode 124. I got a big stack of stuff here to talk to through with all of you. So, first up, And this is mind-blowing. I need to talk about a new slot machine I found in Las Vegas that I think has a feature set that is exploitable. I actually invented a new slot tactic once I understood the machine. We played it 15 times and walked away with a profit 14 out of 15 tries. That's kind of mind-blowing. The tactic does involve wanting to win more than you want to play. 
and it does involve increasing your wager after a loss or a series of losses. That's a casino wisdom and a core concept of casino combat, so we will start this episode with a moment of concept segment, and I'll tell you about the machine and the tactic I created and tested. Mrs. TRG has decided to join us once again. She is back, back again, with an Oasis segment to rate a pool she enjoyed on our tour of Las Vegas. And regrettably, I have some criticisms of Las Vegas to share, so I am going to do a TRG Say and Mean Things segment to share those observations. Since we are just back from Las Vegas, we will, of course, have a travel segment to tell you about what was comped, what was enjoyed, and what was won or lost. We will finish up with some time in the virtual VIP lounge for some sips and snacks and a discussion of the signs someone is having a problem with gambling. And I suspect I'll have some opinions about the interpretation of those signs that is a little unique, a little different, a bit of my take on this very, very important topic, a topic I probably should have discussed much, much sooner than I have. While I don't have anything specific to share with you regarding the squad this episode, our efforts to test and understand Dr. ECE's bubble craps ambush strategy is ongoing, and you never know when an update on that research might be necessary. We have a lot to talk about. I know what I know if you know what I mean. So let's get started with a moment of concepts. You're traveling through another dimension. A dimension not only of sight and sound, but of mind. Thing means nothing. What? A journey into a wondrous land whose boundaries are that of imagination. A moment of concepts segments started with this idea of really making you think, really expanding my thought process or expanding your thought process by looking at combinations of casino wisdoms and core concepts. And as I said just a moment ago, that applies to what we're going to talk about today. And I do think that if you will allow me a little poetic license, this is mind-blowing. This is something that makes you think, or perhaps is going to cause you to think differently about something that's integral to casinos. So let's start with something everyone knows is true. Everyone who has even thought about casinos for a minute knows that this is true. It's just plain out fact. Undisputable. Undeniable. You can't beat slot machines. Everyone knows it. Anyone who's done even a bit of research knows you can't beat slot machines. Oh sure, you might leave the restaurant after brunch and spend a few times and win tens of thousands of dollars randomly, but keep playing, you will lose it all back. Slot machines are the biggest money-making wager the house has. You can't beat them. You can't. It can't be done. So it's mind-blowing to me that Mrs. TRG and I make cash money almost every single month playing slot machines. You could go back through a lot of months of results to find the one maybe two times over the course of this podcast, over 123 episodes, over three years of results, and you would see that almost every single month we have made money in cash playing slot machines. We've done the impossible, or we're having random positive variants for years and years. I mean, we know we this just can't be possible. So we do that much to our surprise. We are able to do that because, much to our surprise, I understood how to combine not really having an interest in playing slots, not wanting the action, if you will, with increasing wagers after a loss or a series of losses. 
and then having a player's card to accumulate free slot play. So this idea of how to approach slot machines seems to work, is unique and different, and it's unique and different because it applies casino wisdoms and core concepts. It applies discipline to playing the unbeatable machines. And since I believe in gamblers helping other gamblers be good at the game of casino gambling, I wrote down how to do what we do and made it available for free at our website, casinocombat.com. It's in an ebook. The ebook is called Slot Tactics. You can download it from the Fred section of the website if you want to learn and use those techniques. If you would like to be able to do the impossible, the undisputable and undeniably impossible thing and make money on a regular basis playing slots, I've given you the answer. So as mind-blowing as it is, slot play is a regular part of what we do in casinos. And as a result, I try to experiment with new and different machines when I see something that interests me. That's always my first criteria for testing a new machine. Is the subject matter and or the art interesting to me? The next criteria is, does the machine pay out progressive bonuses for any amount wagered? That's important, and not all machines are set up that way. Old-timey three-reel machines often require a max bet spin for progressive jackpots to be available. Those are not machines I traditionally play. I was walking through Caesar's Palace in Las Vegas near the casino cage when I spotted a machine called Sword of Destiny Fire Warrior. Note, we later found an Ice Warrior version at Circa on Fremont Street. I always like fantasy-themed machines, and I hadn't seen this particular machine before. So I checked, and yes, progressive jackpots were available with any wager. Wagers ranged from $0.60 to $6 a spin, so I decided to give it a try. Now, the layout of this machine is somewhat different once I sat down and did my first couple of spins. There was a column along the left side with symbols for things like wild reels and multipliers and wild symbols, things like that, and I wasn't sure what those were about. And the screen showed nine or ten rows of symbols, but at the start of play, only three rows were active. So limited symbols available and this line of symbols along the left that I didn't understand what they did. And there are symbols in play as you play the game that expand the number of rows that are active. And as more rows become active, more bonus symbols become available on the left side. But my question after the first couple of spins was, why don't those symbols on the left side do anything? I didn't understand it. I was playing for education. That's fine. So I started using TRG slot strategy El Numero Dos to figure out what those symbols were about. And after four spins, I realized that strategy wouldn't work with this machine. Sword of Destiny Fire Warrior has a counter that counts from 1 to 10 for each wager amount. If you are spinning at 60 cents, you are counting from 1 to 10. If you are spinning at $6, you are counting from 1 to 10. This is similar to a machine called Scarab. Now on Scarab, random wild symbols are added on the 10th spin. On this machine, the 10th spin activated all of the bonuses along the left-hand side of the machine. So to lay that out in more detail, as you spin, the number of rows in play can grow which provides more lines to get paid on and more bonuses to activate with the 10th 
spin. So after that fourth spin, given what I had understood, I realized that jumping around from wager to wager as required by TRG slot strategy El Numero Dos would not efficiently activate the 10th spin and the bonuses that went with that 10th spin on a consistent and reliable basis. Now, I could have just bailed at this point. I could have just said, okay, my normal slot strategy doesn't work. I'll just take the four spins times 60 cents, the trivial Las Vegas amount of money as a loss, record it in my app and walk away. But I decided to finish the rest of the 10 spins at 60 cents, the next six spins, and see what actually happened when I hit that 10th spin. It was only $6 at risk. On the 10th spin, the bonus activated. Wild columns were added. Wild symbols were added. A two times multiplier was applied to the outcome. I won $4.80 on the spin. It was a fun machine. It had a neat feature, but I had lost money. I spun a total of $6 and had not won that amount. I had a loss, actually a series of losses. TRG slot strategy El Numero Dos wouldn't work. Okay, lots of machines that I experiment with won't work with that strategy. I just don't play those machines. That's not a big deal. But I wondered, what if I used the ideas from that slot strategy in a different way? What if after 10 spins that created a loss... I did spent 10 spins at the next larger wager amount and set a positive exit of having more money after the 10th spin at any unit size than I had put into the machine. And a negative exit point would be spinning at every wager level 10 times and not having a profit for the machine. Positive exit, negative exit, increasing wagers after a loss or series of losses. It was an interesting hypothesis. I decided to play things out. The first attempt, I ended up doing 10 spins at every level. I almost needed to add more money to the machine to finish the $6 spins, but a solid payoff on the seventh spin at that level prevented that. And on that make or break 10th spin, I had eight rows of lines active and eight bonuses to activate. I finished the spin with a profit of $150 for the machine. There's actually a picture of that on our Instagram account and that shows the payout as it's happening. That was one try, but I was intrigued. When I went back past the machine later in the day, I only got to the second wager level and left the machine with an $11 profit. Later, I showed Mrs. TRG my theory, and the 10th spin generated a profit of just over $5, and I walked away. Three for three. That's a good start for a new machine. The next day, we showed the machine to the other couple we were vacationing with, and I won money. Mrs. TRG won money, and unfortunately, our new-to-gambling friends took the only loss on this machine that we saw the entire trip. Including their loss, we went 14-1 and as a group playing this machine this way over the course of the trip. As a couple, Mrs. TRG and I had a profit of almost a day's pay on the machine for the trip, which we will find out was pretty important. Fun machine. I'll certainly be looking for Sword of Destiny machines like this in the future so I can continue testing this strategy for this particular machine. Very interesting and a very fun way to spend some time in the casino. Mrs. TRG is joining us next in an Oasis segment. I hope you'll all enjoy it. and welcome to the Oasis segment of our Casino Combat podcast. Today I'll be raiding the pool at the Mirage Casino and Hotel in Las Vegas, 
And as a reminder, the way I've been rating the pools that I've been visiting are in four categories, and each category gets five points each, so a total of 20 points. And those categories are ambience and features, easy access, food and beverage, and just the overall vibe that you would get while visiting the pool. So the Mirage Pool is pretty cool. For the first one, ambiance and features, I gave it a five out of five. You walk in, it's a pretty large pool, very clean. The pool has a lot of curves. It's not just your regular standard rectangle. So it's, it is surrounded by palm trees that don't necessarily get away in the way of your sunshine. It's got these two big, beautiful rock formations with cascading waterfalls down and also have some palm trees and the little birds like to get on their top there too. What's really cool too is you can even swim underneath the waterfalls and they have a little ledge that you can sit on top there as well. So you're like looking outside of the waterfall. They have some cabanas and chair rentals that you can also rent um, if you would like to do that. But there's plenty of lounge chairs that are available and depending when you are there during the day depends on whether you are in the sun or the shade. But there's plenty of sun and shade all around the pool to choose from whether you would rather be in the sun or whether be in the shade. I personally would rather be in the sun, so I always seek out those sunny areas. The next category is easy access. I also rated it a 5 out of 5. It was very near to some retail stores and some novelty shops, but there's lots of signage around the casino that shows you in which direction to get there. You don't have to necessarily walk through the whole casino. You're kind of walking around the perimeter of it to get to the doors leading out to the pool. Food and beverage, the next category. TRG and I decided on our pool day that we are going to first have breakfast at the Paradise Cafe, which is right there in the pool complex. It opened at 10 o'clock and we arrived just a little bit after 10, so we thought we'd get a little bite to eat, spend some time at the pool. Unfortunately, when we got there, just a little after 10, they were already booked and telling us that it was going to be a 45-minute wait. Well, TRG was a little hangry and this did not make him very happy, but we found a nice lounge chair and sat down and waited until they texted us to let us know our table was ready. And it did take about 45 minutes before we were seated. However, the food was very good. It was reasonably priced. They had a variety of uh, cocktails that you could order along with your breakfast. They also served lunch. This also serves as a food venue for if you are lounging out at the pool, you can certainly ask your waitress to bring you some food as well. They did have poolside drink service. It was pretty quick and reasonably priced for a pool service drink. The overall vibe, I also gave a five out of five. I thought the atmosphere was very relaxing. It was quiet, kind of felt like you were at a spa a little bit with the sounds of the cascading waterfall. I thought it was a nice place where you could sit and relax. You could read a book or just enjoy the desert sun. So that brings it to a total of 18 out of 20 points for the Mirage main pool. They did have another pool there also, which was just tucked behind the main pool, and that was their private oasis pool. I did not go into this pool as it is their adult pool, but the only way to get in there is that you have to pay and reserve either a lounge chair or a cabana, and that was not in for what we were going to do for that day. And that, ag agree or disagree, don't matter. I'm just the wife of a rambler gambler. TRG will be saying some mean things in the next segment if I read the battle plan correctly. Till next time. That's really, 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 really not nice.
Saying mean things is never my first choice. It's really not. I would prefer to be a happy warrior at all points in time. However, sometimes in my opinion, it's necessary. Sometimes there are things that need to be said. Sometimes that's to fix a situation. Sometimes that's just to vent a little bit. Sometimes it's to help others avoid certain situations. And I got two of those kind of mean thing observations from our Las Vegas trip to share with you today. Check that. Actually, three. I'm going to add one before I actually get started. Vegas is set, setting up for the Formula One race in a few weeks, and it makes the strip an ugly mess. It makes the city more difficult and thus more expensive to navigate. It makes the wonderful Bellagio fountains difficult to see. It makes life difficult for everyone who works on the strip. There, got that one out of the way. Next on my list of negative observations. The Caesars brand on the strip sucks if your game is blackjack and you're not going to play $50 a hand or more. It just sucks. This used to be my favorite part of the Las Vegas Strip. The part of the Las Vegas Strip I knew best, the area where I spent the most time, the area where, as a couple, we could wander from Harris to Planet Hollywood, finding playable blackjack tables in every building. We didn't check every single Caesars Casino. We made a couple of assumptions about Link based on prior knowledge. But all the ones we walked through, and it was most of them, we found one 3-2 table, that for less than $50 a hand, that was on a Caesars table that would be at $25 a hand for a few hours in the morning. It was always full and it got moved to $50 a hand shortly after lunchtime each day if it started out at $25. Now we had a great comp room at Caesars this trip. That was where Mrs. TRG and her girlfriend wanted to stay. It made sense to them. Wonderful property. But for all practical purposes, unless something changes, the brand is dead to me in Las Vegas. It's unplayable. And I honestly don't get why it needs to be that way. I really, really don't. MGM has figured it out perfectly. We can't afford to play at Bellagio. The table limits are too high. We wouldn't play at Luxor or Excalibur. The rules are too bad. This is sounding a little bit like Goldilocks, isn't it? But Park MGM and New York, New York have tables that are just right. $25 minimum, 3-2 to two payouts, surrenders allowed, and aces can be resplit after an original split. Those are very player-friendly rules. So MGM has created the Goldilocks of gambling experiences in their section of the strip. Some is too much, some is too little, some is just right. You would think that Caesars could do the same thing. Perhaps Caesar's Palace is too much. And perhaps Link and Horseshoe are not right because the rules are horrible. And perhaps then Flamingo and Harris and Planet Hollywood have some tables that are the type we are looking for. Seems like they could do that. Likewise, Mirage continues to have that set of four to six tables all the time at $25 minimums and three to two payouts that I've enjoyed in each of our last few trips to the wonderful city of Las Vegas and the Las Vegas Strip. Circa's always playable all the time, wonderful property. So we thank Caesars Entertainment for the comps, the free bets, the resort credit, and the free ride on the high roller to observe the sphere, but our gambling time was spent other places with their competition. Next time, other than using Caesars brand as a burner room to get some additional comps, we will just stay at those other places and play at those other places. They're happy to have us. 
as a business owner, I have from time to time decided that there were customers I didn't want and I had to tell them that. We feel strongly that Caesars Entertainment has decided they are not interested in us as customers in Las Vegas. That's a shot to the ego. That's hard to take. It happens to a lot of gamblers at a lot of places. They get the message, intended or unintended, but they're not wanted as customers. And that's where I have found that I've just got to put my ego aside, have some emotional control, and recognize the message that's being sent. It does me no good to have a comped room and a resort credit and then have to walk 30 or 40 minutes to play a simple game of blackjack and when I finish my evening to have to walk back that 30 minutes. And if I've got to pay for a cab downtown and pay for a cab back, well, I might as well just stay downtown and enjoy downtown and be able to play within just a few minutes when it's time in my plan to play. So Caesars Entertainment, Heard loud and clear. I know you won't miss us. That's fine. I I hope you uh I hope everything goes well for you. Best wishes, Caesars Entertainment on the strip in your future endeavors. There we go. Finally. And maybe this is because I had two retired school teachers with me on the trip. Maybe that's it. But we gotta talk about children in Las Vegas just a little bit. Now I'm not the guy saying don't take children to Las Vegas. I'm not that dude. I'm not. I vacationed in Vegas with my children, and we made it about the kids. We made it a family vacation, and we had a blast. I'll never forget the look on their faces when we told them over a Christmas holiday that, sure, you can have milkshakes at breakfast at the buffet. We don't care. Go ahead. They thought that was the most amazing thing. They loved the Christmas decoration. But it is is my opinion and the opinion of the people I was traveling with that if you have school-aged children in Las Vegas during the school year, during school hours, you're maybe not making a great parenting choice. Your priorities are possibly wrong. And I know there are individual circumstances, but to us, you are making a bad choice. And we all saw way, way, way too many school-aged children all over the place to just say, well... Maybe it's a special grandmother-granddaughter trip to see a special performance. Maybe it's a fall break at their school. Way too many children who should have been in school and instead were at the M&M store on Tuesday morning at 11 a.m. Way too many school-aged children were slogging through smoky casinos back to their hotel room well after midnight. Here is a bit of casino wisdom. You know, a combination of knowledge and experience that teaches an action to be taken in certain situations in your casino. Don't take your kids out of school to go on vacation in Las Vegas. Las Vegas will be there when they are not in school. Or save it for a long weekend. I happen to also feel the same way about Disney World. Feel the exact same way about taking your kids out of school so that your Disney vacation is easier. Somehow, I think you're making bad choices, which means, okay, I'm done. I've said my mean things. Sorry about the complaints. Next, I have plenty of positive Vegas experiences to share, along with some gambling results for the trip in a travel segment. An ambush. An ambush again? Yep. I wouldn't have predicted this back in episode 121, but we need another segment to discuss Inner Circle member ECE's, Dr. ECE's, Bubble Craps Ambush Strategy. So let me give you a bit of a refresher. Dr. ECE found a YouTube video, applied it to Bubble Craps, and it had a 26-unit negative exit and a 6-unit positive exit 
that we started using as a way of testing. And this has been a group effort. ECE brought the strategy to my attention and showed it to me in Atlantic City. During another Atlantic City visit, I showed it to Nakatomi Tony. He started testing using Crapsy and had winning results after 150 tries. Then YouTube personality and Excelsior Brigade member SameBet suggested a modification. He suggested instead of a betting progression of regressive wagers, that's wagers after a loss, instead of going 1, 3, 7, 15, SameBet suggested going 1, 1, 3, 7, 15. An additional one unit at risk for a total of 27 as our negative exit to get five wagers looking for a win rather than four. I shared this with Nakatomi Tony, and he called it version two and dug in with another 150 tries on Crapsy. Version two of Ambush also created a profit after 150 tries. And early on, it looked like version two was winning at a higher rate, but we had a couple losing streaks toward the end, and it brought the winning percentage more in line with the results from version one. And informatively, the amount one using version two was less than the amount one using version one. Now, 300 tries isn't statistically significant as a sample size. Crapsy generating random numbers isn't the same as rolling actual dice. A different random number process might generate different results. This isn't something any of us have tested for months and months and months in a casino and made actual money. But it is a squad project that seems to work to grind out a profit over hundreds of attempts. It checks all the core concepts boxes if tier credits are awarded for play. And in some casinos, they're not. So that would not check all the boxes. We want to have as many eyes on this as possible. So I've created a blog post on the casino.com website. And you can download and review Nakatomi Tony's results spreadsheet. You can see the graphs of the results for both versions. You can make your own choices. Look things over. See if you find something negative that we are missing. Bring those to our attention if you find them. Try things out for yourself in whatever fashion makes sense. Let us know the results. Share with your squad mates. Only time and experience will actually tell us how this is going to turn out. But this certainly looks like our squad has discovered a long-term money-making process. Now, we're not making thousands and thousands of dollars unless we're putting tens of thousands of dollars at risk, but it does seem to be something that will return a profit of one to two units, average profit over extended play. Sorry about the interruption. That travel segment is actually next. I started the month with local gambling at my local casino during the first week of the month. Plenty of free bets, gifts, gift cards. I was focused on keeping losses small and taking small wins. Just doing the business of gambling while not messing up the bankroll going into a week of gambling and spending in Las Vegas. I finished the week a few days pay ahead of my expenses and off to Las Vegas we want. And I do need to set the stage here a little bit. This was a... Living a casino lifestyle trip. This was Mrs. TRG sorting out what it's like to be retired in a school year time span that lets her travel in ways she's never been able to travel before. So this is her and a girlfriend who was also a retired teacher 
deciding, hey, let's take a couple's vacation together. Her girlfriend had been seeing our pictures from April and our travels and decided they wanted to revisit Las Vegas and it would be fun if, if we could go with them. And that was neat. That was neat and it illustrates this casino lifestyle idea. When the, when the two ladies got talking early in the summer, my wife looks at me and goes, can we go to Vegas in October with them? And I said, I don't know, where are they staying? Well, they were staying at Caesars Palace because that's where they'd always wanted to stay. And I quickly went online and found out that, yes, we could have comps the same nights they were going to be there. We could be in the same resort with them, and it wasn't going to cost us anything. It was going to cost them $350 plus resort fees per night, and we were just going to go because we could and hang out with them, hang out the same place. Really neat to be able to do that. It really is. So Caesars comps us an Augusta Tower Junior Suite with a view of the Bellagio Fountains. A great room, very generous of Caesars Entertainment. They also included a small resort credit to buy some food or spa or whatever, some free bets and free rides on the high roller wheel. It was a nice comp package just because. Now it takes most of a day to get to the airport, get through security, and get to Las Vegas. It takes most of a day to get back. And as such, I prefer longer trips to Las Vegas. So we arrived on Saturday and spent two comped strip view nights at Mirage with some free play and resort credits before moving to New York, New York for a couple of comped strip view nights with free play and resort credits and then joined our friends at at Caesars Palace for the rest of, of our stay. We enjoyed seeing America's Got Talent our first night at New York, New York and saw Cirque du Soleil's Love Show with our friends at the Mirage. It's been over a decade since we saw Love the last time, and it is one of our favorite Vegas shows, one of our favorite things to see. We've been talking about it for a while, so then when they suggested it, we were, we were all in on that. We also did something that we thought was very, very cool. We repeated the first ever big show we saw in Las Vegas, and in a very unique way. We honeymooned in Las Vegas in August. We were rookies. We were novices. We didn't exactly know what we were doing. Everything on the map looks so close, right? When you look at a map of the Las Vegas Strip, if you've never been there, you go, oh, it's only four hotels down. That's no big deal. No, it is a big deal. So (laughs) being rookies, being noobs, being novices... In August, in 110-degree weather, Mrs. TRG is wearing a long cocktail dress. I've got on a suit and a tie. We are all dressed up, and we walk from what is now the Link, it was the Imperial Palace, to the very classy Desert Inn, which was where Wynn is now, to see an impersonator named Rich Little. Big star at the time. An expensive ticket at the time. And a really long, hot walk in a long dress and heels and a suit and a tie. We would take a cab to do that same walk in August that way now, without a doubt. Just a rookie mistake, one that every Vegas first-timer makes. How is that relevant? Well, Mr. Rich Little is currently performing at the Tropicana, admittedly in a, a smaller showroom. The Tropicana will be imploded sometime in the fairly near future. It just seemed right to go make a few more memories in that historic building. Kind of seeing a Las Vegas classic in a Las Vegas classic. 
From previous visits to the Tropicana, we had free bets and a food credit to use while enjoying our evening. We won enough money with the free bets to cover the cost of the tickets. So essentially, this was a free date night in Las Vegas. The maitre d', when he was seating us, upgraded us to one of the four booths in the room and seemed genuinely surprised that I tipped him for doing that for us. And that's a shame. When I learned how to Vegas, you always tipped the person seating you for upgrading your seats. That was just what you did. And it seems to be somewhat of a lost art. In many ways, the Las Vegas Strip has moved beyond all of us. Not only Mrs. TRG and I, but Rich Little, the Tropicana, the staff working in old room so that 20 old people could share a performance locked in time that only those over 40 would probably enjoy. But it was an excellent way to enjoy an evening. It was very generous of Mr. Little to share some of his time with us. Unlike at the Desert Inn years ago with hundreds or thousands of people in attendance, I got to shake his hand at the end and thank him in person for his excellent performance. The other, and you know, I'm, I'm making the, the quote symbol with my fingers here. The other quote show we enjoyed was happy hour at a new speakeasy at the Horseshoe, formerly Bally's, called The Lock. And The Lock is located in the Cabinet of Curiosities Bar and must be discovered if you want to go in. I'm not going to spoil anything, but the entrance is not hard to find. And the theatrics involved in gaining access are clever and well done. The bar itself seats 20 people and it's decorated as a Roaring Twenty speakeasy. It's away from all the busyness of the strip and we enjoyed a couple of unique cocktails, including one made specifically for each of us based on a survey we completed for the mixologist. This is certainly not a must-do every time in Vegas kind of place, but it was a wonderful, unique, and new Vegas experience that we highly recommend. It was a wonderful way to pass some time, have some conversation. We, we, we really thought it was a cool thing. We really thought it was a neat addition. <laughs> we also got a chuckle out of the people trying to figure out where the speakeasy was and how to get in. They were making it more difficult than it needed to be. The gambling. The gambling was a bit different this time. Our primary reason for going to Vegas was to vacation with another couple. We layered in a lot of shows. This is not me in the middle of the pandemic trying to max out my points and make sure I make a profit. This was very much a vacation and a vacation with another couple. A couple that knows almost nothing about gambling doesn't know the Vegas Strip the way we know the Vegas Strip. It was very informative to see Vegas and gambling through their eyes and through their questions. Things like charging meals back to your room to earn tier credits, getting comped, using a player's card of the right tier to cut the line at a restaurant so that you can get seated immediately. Those were all new things to them. Those were things they weren't familiar with or knew about. In many ways, things we just take for granted were just amazing and, and fascinating to them. They had a lot of questions. We had a great time, but there was a couple of days where Mrs. TRG and I did no gambling or just a bit of video poker to end the night. And being in the Caesars portion of the strip with their horrible blackjack product also contributed to that. It's not like I could say, oh, hey, I'm going to go play for a half hour, 45 minutes, whatever it happens to be, while you get ready. Because it's going to take me a half an hour to walk to a place that had a table. As a couple, we played even, money-wise, for the first part of the trip, including long sessions at both New York, New York, and Mirage. And that should keep us well comped on future visits. Unfortunately, the night we moved into our Great Caesars Palace room, we played at Mirage for most of the evening, 
And Mrs. TRG did well, but I did really, really not well. And she understandably didn't want to and shouldn't stop. And so I'd sit out for 45 minutes or an hour and and watch her and cheer her on. And then I'd jump back in. I took a couple of tier three losses and played more than I would have in a different situation. I, I definitely was playing because she was playing, not necessarily playing to manage my bankroll professionally. Maybe that's a a good way to express that. We didn't play for a couple days and then had a bit of a recovery day. I played and made money while Mrs. TRG was at the pool. And then we went down to Fremont Street and a dinner at Bugsy's at the El Cortez and stopped by and picked up a Silver Strike token at the Four Queens by playing the Silver Strike machine there, one of the last one or two left in Las Vegas, and got a nice souvenir coin from from doing that, and I could have cashed the coin at the cage, but they're worth more on eBay. And then we finished up with a long run at Circa, where I took a small loss, not creating a loss for the day, and Mrs. TRG had several nice winning tables, and kind of kept us even for that building as a couple. So a wonderful evening, a wonderful chance to play at Circa. Really got to find time to stay there. I've heard nothing but good things. So we did not leave the city with a win. We certainly did not leave the city with a win after expenses. We did leave the city calling a host and asking the host to simply pay for all our room charges with free tax-free imaginary money. So other than some tips and some things of that nature, all the Caesars part of our trip was 100% comps. The room services, the rooms, the, the room charges for various meals, all of it, all comped off, just using that imaginary bank account that almost every casino creates for its guests. We thought we were putting that to good use. We had a great time, but let's be honest, we are seeing a pattern in our Vegas trips as a couple. They are not particularly profitable. That's okay. It's not the end of the world. We're still on track to to be profitable for the year once again. Strip rules are tough, and the limits get the better of us. And sometimes the decision-making is not ideal when we're playing as a couple in that environment. So we're going to put this one down as a vacation. We're going to put this down as a losing two weeks. That said, despite finishing the trip down about 10 days' pay, Perspective is a wonderful thing. Mrs. TRG's thought as we were getting ready to leave was this. It's only the 15th of the month. You have plenty of time to fix things when we get back. You're playing for the month. She wasn't unhappy. She wasn't disappointed. She wasn't angry that I'd had a bad night and messed things up. She'd enjoyed her vacation. She'd enjoyed her time with her friend. And she just kind of shrugged and went, I know you have time to fix the month when we get back. No big deal. And we will see. Fixing minus 10 days... And the expenses of the trip may be too big a hill to climb. You know, stay tuned. (laughs) There's the tease, right? Stay tuned. Come back to the next episode. Find out if TRG was able to win back the money lost in Las Vegas and cover all the expenses. I still don't know. Uh, Obviously, I'm recording this a bit after we got back. I still don't know if I'm going to be able to do it. We will see. I will share it with you next episode in the Virtual VIP Lounge. We did live a casino lifestyle with our friends in Las Vegas and had a great time in an amazing city that we always enjoy being in. Okay, let's go hang out in the virtual VIP lounge and share some sips and talk about an important and long overdue topic. One I think I can provide an interesting point of view on 
at least I'm going to try. A little bit of the bubbly. Welcome to the most must-listen-to segment in casino podcasting, the Virtual VIP Lounge, and our lounge is open! We had the best virtual everything virtually all the time, best virtual food and drink served in any Virtual VIP Lounge anywhere on the interweb. Guaranteed or your money back. If you think you found a better Virtual VIP Lounge, you let me know. We will have the battle of the Virtual VIP Lounges. Gambling is a diverse activity, and not one limited to casinos. Lottery tickets, raffles, wagers with friends on a golf course, and all those are all things people can do too much of and things that have been stigmatized over the years in our society. Even Looney Tunes was in on the game of shaming gamblers when I was growing up. I remember the cartoons. I remember watching a character called the Gambling Bug, and the Gambling Bug had a catchphrase of... Remember, folks, the gambling bug will get you if you don't watch out. Now remember, folks, the gambling bug will get you if you don't watch out. (laughs) And I will, too. Look, I think it's obvious, but I don't think the stigma is deserved. I don't like when people say, oh, well, we're just degenerate gamblers. I, it bugs me. It, It really does. This idea that you have a gambling problem or people think they get to judge you and say, oh, I'm worried he has a gambling problem. If we applied the same criteria that people apply to frequent gambling, then I think I know if I apply that exact same criteria, that exact same mindset, that exact same kind of superior moral judgment, then I think I know people who have a golf problem and a horse problem, and a boating problem, and a fishing problem, and my goodness, do not get me started on the number of coffee addicts I know. I live with one. I watch it when we go to Las Vegas, and there isn't a coffee maker in the room. And she doesn't like it when I tease her and say, well, you got a coffee addiction. And I freely admit that I have an air addiction. I do. I am an air user all the time. I think, honestly, if we're being honest, we could apply the same standards to a variety of activities that people have, activities that they put money into that they don't get money out of, and somehow gambling gets to be labeled this way. And maybe those people don't get the the dopamine rush, uh, the chemical rushes in the brain from taking risk, but skydiving's risky, rock climbing is risky, Those give the same dopamine rush. Nobody goes, you know, I think you've got a skydiving addiction, right? Nobody would judge that. Nobody would say, you're spending too much money on rock climbing equipment. Those are seen as wholesome activities. But people do develop a problem around gambling. I think people develop problems around a lot of things, but people do develop, they gamble beyond their means, and they do get judged for that. And I should have done this segment a long time, and let me explain why I have it, and let me explain why I'm doing this with a bit of fire and perhaps a bit of sarcasm today. Once a year, for a week, there is problem gambling awareness. If you're not familiar, anytime a state legalizes gambling, some of the revenue generated for the state and or contributed by the casinos creates a problem gambling hotline. And... Money goes into it, some signs are put up, an 800 number is established, pamphlets are available, and everybody feels like they did what needed to be done. And quite frankly, I don't think they try very hard. I think it's a, 
We did what was required, oh well. I I don't think the people involved are particularly committed to actually helping people. And here's why I say that. I say that from experience. Because every year this this happens, every year they put up a table on the near the entrance into the casino floor, and they have a couple people sitting there during the day. Now you would think if you were really trying to help people, you'd probably do it at night or day and night not just a few days in the middle of the week. You would think Friday and Saturday night would be a good good time to be there when the place is super busy. But they tend to put up the table at slow times. They, If you want, they have some pamphlets there, the same pamphlets that are at AT- every ATM machine in every casino. And they're usually handing out some pens or pencils with the hotline number on it. And every time I go over, I think I look professional in a work sense, not in a casino sense. And I always go over and I introduce myself with my real name and I explain that I do the uh, number one podcast about casinos as rated by Feedspot blog and that we've done it for two years in a row now and that I do a podcast and that if anyone in their organization would have just 15 or 20 minutes to have a phone call with me and explain gambling addiction, how to recognize it, what can be done about it, what resources are available, that I'm not trying to be confrontational. I am just trying to help my audience and help them further their mission. If anybody would be interested, I would welcome them. They could improve the questions beforehand. They could lay out the outline any way they want it to be. It would not be a gotcha thing. Would they please, could somebody please just shoot me an email, do it any way they wanted to do it, any format they wanted to do it, let them hear the edit before it goes out, let them have final approval. I try to just be as welcoming and, and, and involve them in any way they want to be involved. And I never get a reply. I never even get an email saying, hey, thanks, no thanks. I never get an email saying, we're not interested, but here are our talking points. Please do them before us. I never get an email saying, we listened to a couple of your segments and we listened to a couple of episodes and we really don't think what you do is a good fit for us. I just get ignored. And to me, that says you don't really care about what you say your mission is. Here's a podcast, well-established, that speaks to gamblers, and I'm asking you to use my platform to spread your message, to educate and inform my audience, and you can't even take the time to send me an email and say, no, we're not interested. I mean, I don't understand why you can't be bothered to have one of your main counselors, one of your primary executives, one of whomever, have a 15-minute conversation with me? Why? I don't get it. So since they won't do it, and since they won't do it their way, I'm going to do it my way, and I'm going to do it my way today. And we will see how this turns out. I may not like this when it's done, or you may not like it, but we will find out. I don't like the idea that they're not doing their job and I have to do it, but here I go. I'm going to do it. And I'm going to start by humbly suggesting that our podcast, Casino Combat, teaches a masterclass in not having a gambling problem. I am not an expert. I've never taken a class. I've never taken a seminar. I've never, until I prepared for this, actually reviewed the signs that you have a gambling problem. I, As I said earlier, I tend to regard that as kind of a little 
condescending and stupid in some ways. To, for person A to say to person B, oh, I think you have a gambling problem. But I know some people do. And I know some people gamble more than they can afford. And that's why I start the podcast every single episode early in the process saying, don't gamble with money you cannot afford to lose. Don't gamble with money you need to pay bills. That's why I say every single time, if you think you have a problem and you don't know how to get help, send an email to help at casinocombat.com and we will make sure that you get whatever help you need to the best of our ability. We take that very seriously. I dare to suggest not only do we teach people how not to have a gambling problem, but we do more than the paid professionals to be available to help someone if they need help. So, story. Because we always got to have some stories in the virtual VIP lounge. When my local casino first opened, been open four or five months, get an elevator, go to my car with a couple younger guys, and they've got a pamphlet in their hand. And they're going through the signs you have a gambling problem. And they're getting to various things, and it's like, do you do this? And they're like, of course we do that. Every gambler does that. That's how it works. That's not the sign you have a problem. This is a sign you have a problem. And they were joking around and they'd had a couple beers, I suspect. But that stuck with me because it stuck with me at the time that, boy, yeah, some of these things are simple and obvious and some of them are kind of naive. Maybe that's the word. Yeah, some of these are just kind of naive. They, they illustrate that the people who made the list perhaps don't particularly have an in-depth knowledge of gambling. And maybe they do. Maybe if they'd been willing to come on here and have a conversation with me, I'd have gotten educated and I wouldn't be ignorant. And maybe from their point of view, I'm showing my ignorance in making that statement. But that was the impression of the young men in the elevator. And it certainly rang true with me. So what I've done here is I pulled up a list similar to the ones the casinos hand out. And they vary from casino to casino and place to place. But I pulled up a list very much like the list that the casinos hand out to tell you if you are uh, perhaps having a struggle with gambling. That perhaps you have a gambling problem, a gambling addiction, and perhaps you need to ask for help. So I thought we'd go through those and see if they ring true today. See if I go through this list and I react in the same way the young men in the elevator reacted. So the first one is arguing with friends and family after gambling. And that's fair, I guess. It is. If you go to the casino and you come back and you are arguing with your family and friends about it, maybe it's a problem. It's certainly a source of tension if you're having an argument about it. But having said that, can't we apply this to anything? I mean, if you argue with your friends and family after golfing, it's a problem. It is. It's a, it's a problem in the same way that it is, right? If you come home and your spouse is always arguing with you, she thinks that you spent too much on the golf course and you stuck, stuck around for an extra hour afterwards and had a couple beers with your buddies because one of them had a great round and it's a source of tension between you and your spouse, well, yeah, that's a sign that that activity is a problem. If you, as a husband, are always arguing with your wife because she goes to Hobby Lobby too much and she's always got half the basement full of crafting supplies and there's stuff laying everywhere and it's all she ever does and it's all she ever talks about and she finishes one set of crafts and she does the next set of crafts, I guess that's a problem because you're arguing about it. So I'm not saying it isn't a sign that gambling is a problem. I'm saying that it isn't unique to the activity of gambling. This argument 
argument. (laughs) I didn't mean to say it that way. This concept to start the list that because there's an argument, you have a gambling problem is probably accurate, but it's also accurate for almost any other activity that you, your friends and family think you spend too much time doing. Next point, next sign, next warning, borrowing money or selling assets to gamble. Agreed. Absolutely agreed. In general, borrowing money with some narrow exceptions that I would lay out as a professional, but borrowing money in general to gamble with isn't smart. It isn't money you've got to pay interest on isn't good money for gambling, in my opinion. And as I said, I could lay out some professional exceptions to that, some points on cruise ships exceptions, but I'm not going to do it. It isn't smart. And it is most likely a strong warning sign that you are making bad choices. No doubt about it. The next item on the list, the item that follows is considering obtaining money to gamble with through illegal means. Yeah, big, big warning sign. Big sign that you're not thinking about this correctly. That said, I'd say the same thing about someone who considered robbing the liquor store to buy another horse or to buy more fishing tackle. If you want to do something so badly that you're willing to commit crimes to do it, you have a problem. So yes, this is absolutely valid. This is absolutely accurate. I just also think it's kind of generic. Feeling guilty or remorseful about gambling is the next one. Yeah, yeah, big, big, big red flag. Probably the most accurate thing I've seen on this list so far. But let's also add a bit of nuance here. I do think there's a difference between the thought I wish I hadn't done that. Maybe you're walking towards your car. You see a favorite slot machine. You decide to play using TRG slot strategy El Numero Dos. You take a negative exit and lose a few dollars. Not your bankroll, not what you won for the day, certainly not anything needed to pay bills, but some money lost. The thought, I wished I hadn't done that, seems pretty normal to me. And maybe that, I wish I hadn't done that, maybe that isn't the same as guilt or remorse. And the thought should certainly pass fairly quickly as your life goes on. But yes, real guilt, a real sense of remorse, a real sense of, I shouldn't have done that, I've made a problem in my life, that's a big red flag. That's a big, big, big red flag. No doubt about it. Gambling to escape problems or feelings is the next bullet point. It's the next indicator. And okay, I get the point of view here. This isn't something I've ever particularly felt. I, I, I can't really identify with this one, perhaps in the way I can at least identify with some of the others. But boy, if this is a sign of an addiction and a problem, doing X to escape problems or feelings, if that's, if that's the criteria, doing something to escape problems or feelings indicates a problem with that something, We are casting a pretty wide net. I think we all know people who watch The Bachelor or Survivor or Big Brother or the Hallmark Channel to escape their problems and or feelings for a little while. Or someone who has a camping or fishing addiction because they just want to get away from it all for a day or a weekend. That's what getting away from it all means. I mean, by this criteria, people vacation to escape problems or feelings for a little while right? That's kind of the definition of vacation. So are we going to start saying people have a vacationing problem? Is that, I, I don't know, but I don't know on that one. I just think everybody 
has something that they do to put aside the day-to-day to put aside how they're feeling about something for a little while. I mean, by that token, people have Lego addictions and Star Wars addictions and Doctor Who addictions and all just all kinds of problems that they use to escape their pro. I, I'm struggling with that one. Once again, it might be nice to have an expert here to actually explain that a little better, but I'm, I'm struggling to see that one. Hiding the extent of of gambling hiding the extent of gambling that's the next point nope i'm i'm just i get what they're trying to say and yes if you are hiding losses if you are actively hiding losses see that's how i and this is yeah this is where i wish to had an expert here if you are hiding the extent of your losses From someone you share financial responsibility with, yeah, that's a problem. Yeah, that is. If you are hiding the fact that you're gambling from someone in your close inner circle, if you don't want them to know, if you tell them that you're going to the craft show on Saturday, that you can't go help them garden because you're going to the craft show and they don't want to go to the craft show, show and instead of going to the craft show you go to the casino and enjoy it i i don't see how that's any of their business or may not be their business so i get it but i don't get it and this is gradually changing in society but hiding an activity you enjoy from a society or portion of society that has stigmatized the activity seems pretty normal to me People do this in a variety of ways. And I've shared this before. A lady I knew for years off and on comes to mind when I hear this. This lady was a wonderful lady. She was a widow, very active in her church and community, smart, responsible, good gambler. She enjoyed going to the casino one night a week and playing blackjack. That's how I happened to meet her. She carefully hid her gambling from her church, her family, and her non-gambling friends. Now, I guess extent is a word there that matters. I guess does she? she's hiding the extent. Yeah, she's hiding one night a week. And she hid that from the people in her life that she didn't want to be shamed and condemned by. And she knew them well enough to know she would be. The people in her church, the people in her uh, other community activities would have looked down on her. Because she happened to enjoy on Wednesday night going. The same people that would have been fine if she was going to bingo would have looked down on her for being a blackjack player, whether she won or lost. So she was a closeted gambler. She was hiding her gambling because of society's point of view. To use current buzzwords, in her circle of friends and family, if they had been more inclusive and more tolerant of her diverse interests, she would not have been hiding her behavior. Having said that, I personally prefer a, this is who I am, if you don't like it, that's a you problem, not a me problem approach to this. That's my preference. I try to be very transparent with friends and family about the extent of my gambling. Kind of easy, not hard not to be when you do a podcast about it several times a month. And yeah, some of them don't like it. I definitely have friends and family that don't like it. I definitely have friends and family that have thought from time to time, he has a gambling problem. Uh, Mrs. TRG has a relative that remarked to another relative, boy, they seem to take a lot of gambling trips. 
And my thought was, boy, they seem to take a lot of camping trips. Like, I would never think to judge them, right? I would never think to judge them because they're always posting pictures of their hikes and talking about the hikes that they took. But somehow they think it's okay to be a little snide to another family member about us because we take a lot of gambling trips. And once again, that's ignorant, right? Because we're taking a lot of free resort vacations where there happen to be casinos. But this illustrates the point. I can understand that they think they get to judge us. Fine. But I also understand why someone might choose to just hide that behavior because they just don't want to put up with that. That's the other approach, right? If you know people are going to be kind of rude and snide and talk about you behind your back, why not just tell them that's what you do, right? Okay, what's next? What's next? Let's see on the list here. Ah, this is a big one. This is the one the guys in the elevator were joking around about. The next point is, the next sign that you may have a gambling problem is losing and having an urge to return as soon as possible to win back losses. Yeah, wish I had the professionals here because to me, this once again kind of feels like a lot of people do this. When my sons lost a wrestling match or a soccer game, they had an urge to have another match as soon as possible and get a win. And no one considered that urge a sign that they had a wrestling or a soccer problem. Or suppose you're a professional poker player. You play twice a week and you do fairly well. You lose a big pot on a good hand when somebody has a better hand. And as you leave, you're looking forward. You have an urge to come back and play again to win some of that money back. That seems pretty normal. Now that said, let's take a look at how this can be a problem. If you leave your normal poker session and the urge to get back your win is so strong that you cancel plans, drive home, get more money, drive back to play more poker, I think you might want to consider that a warning sign. I really do. Which leads us to missing work to gamble. Yep, I got to agree. Now we can say people take a professional day a personal day to enjoy a golf outing all the time. That's true. People take a day off work to enjoy a golf outing or the start of hunting season or whatever all the time. But that's paid time off. That isn't necessarily missing work in this context. And sure, some people put in for a day off to enjoy a variety of activities. But what this is speaking to, this idea of missing work to gamble is the sign that there's a problem, is calling in sick when you're not sick just so you can go gamble. Or worse, not calling and not showing up and just leaving your employer with a problem and damaging your work reputation, perhaps getting getting a, a, a write-up in your file or losing some points that risk eventually losing your job just because you wanted to gamble. Just because your wanting to gamble was more than your willingness to keep your commitments. I think this is, that's a good one. That's one that rings true to me. It, it, it makes a lot of sense, and I'll apply that to anything. If, if you want to build Lego so much that you just don't go to work when you're scheduled to be working, you got a Lego problem. You do. You honestly do. It, or you've got a work problem. If you can afford to just build Lego and you don't need the money from work, then do the right thing and, and resign from the job. Right? It's the idea that you made a commitment to do a job and now you want to do something more than the job 
that indicates there's a problem. So I definitely agree with that one. Don't see any nuance on that one. Finally, spending more time or money gambling than planned. Okay, I agree. I do. And I also think this is also one that applies to many things. Now, if you're always apologizing to your wife because you lost track of time while working on your vintage car or doing woodworking in your woodworking shop, you spent more time or money than you planned. It's just true. That said, I am a fan of having a plan before you enter the casino and doing your best to stick to that plan. And I'm also a fan of that plan being as much as possible. My time for this activity is unlimited if it needs to be. On a trip that involves gambling, I'm a fan of planning the gambling versus not gambling time and sticking to the plan, right? I'm not the guy that's going to go, oh, honey, I'm sorry. I know we bought tickets to see America's Got Talent. I know we were looking forward to it and we talked about it for a couple weeks, but I got busy gambling. Now, she would understand if I then showed her thousands and thousands of dollars, she would understand it. I'd make it up to her by buying tickets a little bit later to see the show. But yeah, um, if you're skipping planned things to gamble, at minimum, you're not sticking to your plan. You're not doing casino combat. You're not gambling well and professionally. Mm, little hazy on if it's a problem. So yeah, I'll, I'll, I guess I'll agree with that one. Not having a plan and not sticking to the plan is at minimum poor gambling technique and may in fact be the sign a sign that you need to rethink some things and get help if you can't rethink those things on your own. That's the experts list. That's a group of experts list. As I said, there are some other lists out there. Let me add one warning sign of my own from my point of view. If all you can think about doing while you are in a casino is gambling, if that is your first and only thought as you park the car, got to get in there, got to play. If you are trying to get in one more hand, one more hand, one more spin, one more anything, when you should be done and leaving, that may mean you're an amateur who's still learning and still trying to be better, or it may be a sign that the gambling bug bit you. I think the biggest warning sign I can provide is this. If gambling makes you feel bad, not good. If gambling causes you to not be honest with yourself. If you are deciding not to be accountable to someone or something about an outcome, you might want to step back and reconsider. And if you can't or won't step back and reconsider, there are experts and resources to help you handle those feelings. If you need help, get help. If you need our help, ask. But I'd say that about any other activity. That's not unique to gambling. If you do anything that makes you feel bad, that causes you to mislead yourself about what you are spending or doing, you should probably take a step back. And if you need someone to help you take that step back, you should find someone to ask. There's no shame in that. Please tip your waitresses, tip your bartenders, tip your dealers. If you have a host, tip your host, but don't tip away your wins. I have spoken. Everything you heard here is true from a certain point of view. In 10 years, we might find out I was wrong about all of this. It's time for leaving, and I hope you understand I was born a rambling man. Love it, hate it, it don't matter. Please share with your family and friends. Goodbye, everyone. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much for the gift of your time. And stick around. The best part of the podcast, the Casino Combat Blues, is coming up next to wrap things up.
you should probably play alone I know the house has an advantage But that's part of the thrill If we follow the core concepts The chips begin to spill So baby, here's your player's card Put your bankroll in your hand Use just some of that money now Do it just the way we planned Just follow the core concepts And you could win several grand Well, it's good if it goes down Right down to me.